we entitled today's message, True Communion. And as I said, we're in part 18 of our Discovering the Kingdom series. Now, you're going to need a Bible, so I would suggest you take that out. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You also should have been given a handout uh, as you walked in the door. I'm going to give you the fill in the blank here in a moment. But I have a couple thoughts as we begin. How many blessings of God, even things that we prayed for, are now the very things that cause our complaints? Yeah? Just think about that for a moment, right? Lord, I need a spouse. Lord, what the heck did you give me this spouse for? Yeah? This is not what I signed up for. Lord, I want children. Oh my goodness, Lord, why are they so difficult? Why are they freaking me out, right? Lord, I, I desperately want a home of my own. Lord, this is really expensive. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know. When you asked me for it, I was like, ah, oh, okay, right? Like, I get it, right? So many of our current concerns are answered prayers from before, yeah? And, and I feel like the problem is not with the gift, the gift is good. God gives good gifts to his kids. And he wants to bless us. He wants to give us good things. He wants to take care of his kids. As a matter of fact, the stuff that he hands out to us, I would suggest to you, we only give him praise for a tiny portion of it, yeah? I mean, he's giving us so much stuff we take for granted, right? I've seen you drive. There is no way you should be alive right now. Right, like God's been protecting you the whole time. Right, and praise the Lord, he's protecting the rest of us from you. Amen. <laughs> All right. I guess I wonder whether or not the problem and why we are so frustrated with life, maybe it doesn't have to do with the gifts, it has to do with the recipient. You know what I'm talking about? There is a big difference between walking in gratitude and walking in disappointment. Yeah? Because if you walk in disappointment, no matter what you're going to be given, it's not going to be the right one. It's not going to be enough. When you walk in gratitude or thankfulness, you all of a sudden change your mindset to saying whatever I receive from the Father of lights is a good gift. And it gives us a chance to appreciate what we have. But the whole world around us is fighting to build a mindset of disappointment, right? Isn't that what all of advertising is built to do? You know your marriage would be better if you used our shampoo. You're like, I didn't know that. My marriage is terrible, that's weird. I've been skipping days. You understand what I'm saying? There's this constant thing about saying, you know you would have more friends if you ate our chips. And you're like, gosh, I don't have great friends. And then of course, with all the social media stuff we've talked about extensively, it's the comparison. Man, what's wrong with my marriage? What's wrong with my kids? What's wrong with my home? What's wrong with my car? What's wrong with my... And it just keeps going on. You know, a discipline that we must utilize in our lives is the discipline of gratitude. 
where we actually need to work at it, where we actually need to keep remembering, hold on a second, God is good. Hold on a second, I am blessed. I have abundance. I have great things in my life. Because no matter what we're complaining about, it's usually due to something else that's great, right? Lord, I, I can't believe that, that I am, I'm struggling so much with relationships. These three friends are not what I wanted. And he's like, did you say you had three friends? Wow, not everybody has three friends. It's all in perspective. And I'm not talking about just, uh, oh, I'm gonna live in some weird, like, just positive thinking mode. I'm talking about reality. You are spoiled by God. I mean, just the whole idea that if you get a flat tire, it means you have a car, right? And so you're, you're, we gotta kinda just shift that in our mind and go, wait a second, I'm overly blessed, hold on. And we walk in gratitude. The spirit of thankfulness empties selfishness of its power, yes? A spirit of thankfulness empties selfishness of its power. All right, I'm gonna give you the fill in the blank there. Selfishness spoils the blessings of God. Selfishness spoils the blessings of God. That's the fill in the blank. And the reason why is that if God gives you a good gift, can we just keep it a good gift? Can we just keep it a blessing? Does it have to turn into something negative? I don't think that it does. I think that that is really up to us, all right? Now obviously, Israel has struggled with this throughout the years, but we're no different, right? I mean, think about it. They prayed for hundreds of years to be free from Egypt. And what? They got in a desert they hated. They, they prayed to get in the promised land, but when God said, you can go in, and they didn't go in, they were mad they didn't go in. They prayed for bread. They got heavenly manna, and man, was it a drag. At some point, you see the pattern is your own heart. It's not a lack of care from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah? So what Paul's going to be centering in on today is an awful lot of mindsets that were going on in the Corinthian church, and that's what we've been reading all this time. We've been studying this ancient letter between a pastor and a rebellious congregation. And he's been trying to bring correction. Last week we were together, he was like, hey, there are some ladies in our church that are causing disruption and chaos, and they're doing it on purpose. Hey, ladies, knock it off. This week, he drops in and says, man, there are some rich people being super rude in our church, and you're humiliating the poor. Yeah, we don't do that in church. What is wrong with you? And that's what we're gonna dial in on. When we go back to that series, we're gonna end up finding out that he's gonna say, hey, you who are so beautifully, supernaturally gifted, you folks that, that have the Holy Spirit rolling through you, hold up, it still ain't about you, yeah? Like this whole, I'm gonna be showy and it's all about me, yeah, we don't do that in church. Ah, so he's correcting this idea where self-centeredness draws glory away from God, and that is what we're going to be centering on. If you haven't turned there already, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. 
It's going to be page 958. If you need a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. 1 Corinthians 11, 17. We're going to take it piece by piece. If you're brand new, we're going to go line by line and just kind of talk about what we see here and what research has revealed. Here we go. Paul said, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together for church, it's actually not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. All right. Let's pause for a moment. He said, when you come together for special gatherings, some people are leaving worse. How does that happen? Wait, wait, when can church become so toxic that you leave worse than you arrived? Like that is messed up. Is this not God's house? Shouldn't you be able to come to God's house and leave a transformed individual? Should you really have to come into God's house and have people eat you alive and you leave less? That doesn't seem right. So Paul, with a pastor's heart, is cracking down on this kind of stuff. He said, and I'm gonna tell you, here's why it's been so hard on people. You have divisions among you. Now, for Paul, unity is huge. Why? He knows a variety of reasons. Number one, how many bodies of Christ are there? One. Theologically, lock that in. He also knows that we're never going to storm the gates of hell alone. All right, so real quick, you know what it talks about in the gates of hell will not prevail like God's church? Do you understand church is plural? Right, I understand we grew up in this very isolated, independent, I'm on my own, it's my own walk with Jesus kind of concept, yeah? We are not gonna storm the gates of hell by ourselves. All right, real quick show of hands. How many of you have seen more than one movie from the medieval period? Raise your hand. I don't mean the movie was made in the medieval period. I mean, <laughs> I mean that there were like knights and barbarians and all that, right? Okay, how does the storming the castle scene look? Have you guys all seen this? Like they repeat it in every movie. Here's how it looks. You get the camera in on the, the horses and the riders and it's like, drum, 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 right? And they're all riding and sing and everyone's going, ah, and they're yelling and they're all holding their stuff up really high and everybody is running. And the point is, in one big mass, you're gonna hit the gates and they can't get us all, right? That's this kind of mindset. All right, now let's go with our modern version. One dude. Uh, uh, you have to keep yelling because no one else is covering your yell. Uh, uh, and they're just waiting. They're just like, dude, this is taking forever, man. Are you going to get here at some point? Uh, uh. And you fall over. Okay, now that is what happens when you just have all these individual believers doing their own thing. The gates of hell do not get afraid. But when you grab the body of Christ and we are united and we set our sights on storming the gates of hell, 
they're like, oh, shoot, this is not going to go well, right? Because they can see the power of the Holy Spirit combined together and crashing through. That's why we have worship nights. Amen. Yeah. That's why we have worship nights. But So kind of think through this for a second, that if we are divided, Satan wins. We cannot be divided. You're like, hold up, pastor, but they're Episcopalian. First of all, you don't even know how to spell Episcopalian. <laughs> Amen, right? Okay. <laughs> so you can't be against them if you can't spell it. But pastor, they're Baptist. Hey, there's a good one. All right, that was easier. Right? And here's the funny thing. We're always thinking about what divides us. And yet Jesus, in John chapter 17, before he left this planet, his longest prayer in the Bible was, Father, make my family one. So I, until you can come up with a better theological view that there are multiple bodies of Christ, we don't get to pick and choose who's in our family. Man, I'm part of a ministry that there's 350 pastors that get together. I can guarantee you, around those tables, and you got pastors, pastors are historically insecure. Yep. And we're all headstrong, right? Because that's what, that's, we're trying to lead somebody in my way. Okay, we're all sitting at the same table. I can guarantee you we can either do what we do at City Pastors Fellowship luncheons, which is keep it cool. Focus right now. Who are we here for? Jesus. Do you like Jesus? Sweet. Me too. Awesome. We worship together. We pray. To, do you believe in prayer? Me too. We pray together and we have a meal. Do you like food? Me too. Okay. I can guarantee you if we walk up to that table and go, you know we're all predestined, right? Oh, now it's on, right? Everyone's like, duh, throwing down their gloves and they're ready to, okay. Do we really need to spend all of our time focusing on that which divides us? Because what you learn in the last number of years is we'll divide over anything. And here's our nation. It's not great, right? Here's our neighborhoods. It's not great. You found out that a bunch of your friends left you. Why? For a stupid reason. They thought it was important, right? Because we are so quick to jump back into isolation and break. But at what point are we going to be healed enough in Jesus to be offended and stung and take that one and give back grace so there might be healing to our people. At what point will we get there? I think we've got to be those people that do it first, right? And then he says something weird. He's like, of course, there has to be some division in the church because we need to figure out who's truly legit and who's not. Man, you keep causing division, it became very clear, you are not part of the family of God. So you know what? I guess you do gotta go. But if we're talking about family of God, there's just one. Let's pick it up in verse 20. He said, let me be specific. When you guys come together, it is not the Lord's Supper 
that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What am I gonna say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Oh, Paul's ticked off, right? I mean, you can see it in the language. He's really angry. Why? People are getting hurt. For what reason? Selfishness. So let's talk about this for a second. What is the Lord's Supper? Everyone's gonna go, oh, I know this one, teacher. It's communion. Okay, well, hold on, kind of. So what we can surmise by reading this letter, and no scholars know for sure, but it appears that the church would periodically, maybe even weekly, have a potluck and at the end do a communion thing. Right, so it was kind of a combo. It was supposed to be fellowship and then celebrating the unity in Jesus. In that very service, people were getting hurt. How, all right? Now, when I share this with you, you're gonna realize why Paul is so mad, okay? So let's talk about it. Here's what was happening. The wealthy people were coming to a potluck and they were realizing over a number of weeks and months, they're the only ones contributing food to the potluck. The poor people aren't. And at some point they said, this is absurd. Why am I only one that's bringing food to the table? You know what, here's the deal. How about those that have food, we all get together and we share, and those that don't have anything anyway, you can just wait it out. You can wait for the communion time. And they would come together, some of them even came early to be able to eat with their best friends, their wealthy friends, so that by the time the poor people arrived from work, they were like, yeah, dude, I would, I would share with you, I'm sorry, I don't have anything left for you. Now here's what's crazy, you go, nobody would really do that, right? Like you would hang out with your friends, eat these sumptuous meals. Now when I'm talking about sumptuous, Here's Paul's point. You have so much wine at the table for you and your friends that you're getting lit. Come on. I'm not right now arguing about drunkenness. What I'm arguing about is you have excess and these people are starving right across the room. What are you doing? And you're like, I don't think people would really do that. Hold on. There are ancient historians that write that in the ancient Roman world and Greek world, probably many others, they would have on one long banquet table, depending on your status, you would get different portions of food. How awkward is that? You're sitting next to somebody and they're like, you get the baby plate and you get the large plate and you're eating two different meals side by side based on your socioeconomic status. That was common. So these Christians come out of that world and they're like, hey, if you make the money, you get the stuff. You don't make the money, you don't get the stuff. That's kind of your problem, right? There was no care and concern for the poor. Paul said, you're in the house of God. What do you think you're doing? 
what, you're all gonna gather together and hang out with your friends, laugh it up. Do you realize that there are people coming into that church that they were waiting for the communion because it was the only time all week they were going to have something tasty to eat. Quality bread, wine. Most of them didn't have that the rest of their week. And this is where you go, oh, those terrible people. What a terrible congregation. Good thing we're not like that. Okay, hold on. Ready to make it personal, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, let's say, for example, that we did like a potluck here and we did something like that. I think it wouldn't be as big of a deal, and here's why. Because back then, the haves and the have-nots had a very different quality about it. In our world today, we have made yummy food super cheap. Now, it's not healthy. It's not gonna help your body. But I don't think our problem is that we're lacking tasty things that are very inexpensive. So many times, the poorest of us can still get tasty food. It will not nourish us, it will not build us up, but we can get to it. So I don't know if we would have the same problem in such a wealthy nation if we had a potluck that there would be haves and have-nots. I think there's something more important than food today. Anybody have any idea what that would be? Just think in your mind, what's more important than food today? What are people willing to do extreme things for in today's world? Here's my guess, attention and love. I think people will do anything for attention and love. You're like, I don't understand, okay? Imagine you don't have friends to encourage you throughout the week. Imagine that there's no one that says, hey, how are you doing? You go to work by yourself, you come home by yourself. There is no one waiting at the door. And you said, I'm going to church and I'm gonna be around brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope this week someone says hi to me. But what happens is you go to the church, a bunch of people got there early, have their own little crew, they all sit in the same place, they all laugh and joke together. They already know their own friends. They don't want to add to their friend group. And you sit just outside their circle. And boy, do they look joyful. But that day, nobody said hi to you. And you went back home and said, maybe next week. Here's why I'm pointing it out. I don't think that the Corinthians were not giving food because they said, how do I make poor people have a harder life? I don't think they thought about them at all. It just never even entered their mind. Why? Because in their group, they didn't have as much money as the next person. If we continually think about what we still lack, we will never lift our eyes off ourselves and realize somebody needs us. Until we realize that God has given us more than enough, that he has abundantly blessed us, that he has given us grace and kindness, 
and love until we understand the filling of the Holy Spirit, we're never going to be full enough to look outward. Because here's what's interesting. I'll watch a whole bunch of people at church, whether or not they say hi to somebody they don't know, and almost everybody that doesn't says, I feel like I'm the new one. But if everyone's the new one, everyone goes home lonely. Because you're going, but I don't have a lot of friends. But I don't have, you're right, you have one, they have none. This is an opportunity for us to change someone's week. That we would actually go, you know what, this is super uncomfortable. I'm just gonna say, hi, my name, have you, have you been here for a while? I'm kinda new, you're not new. Now, I'm not bashing you like, oh, you're not good Christians. Let me tell you a story that's about to level the playing field. Behind the scenes, we were doing a recent rebranding of the church analysis with this outside company. And they grabbed about 14 of us. Almost all of us were leaders, on staff, pastors. But we invited two people that were a little bit further out on the fringe because we needed some fresh perspective. We had a young lady and a young man that we invited in. They were both involved in ministry, but they were, they were less connected in. We're going around in this meeting and the leader says, okay, let's start talking about how do people interact with Bridgeway? And he said, imagine you could only describe it in five words. What words would you use? People started throwing out some words. Somebody threw out the word friendly. And he goes, all right, let's talk about that. Let's argue about that for a second. Do you think friendly should be one of the five words? And the young man that was there named Jesse raises his hand and goes, nope. And everyone was like, uh, okay, you got a point. What do you want to say? He goes, I wouldn't say that. He goes, as a matter of fact, I walked into this meeting and not one of you have greeted me and I don't know any of you. That was the pastors, the leaders, and the influencers. And they didn't even think that Jesse felt new. Here's my point. It's not that we're trying to be rude. It's that we're so busy thinking about our lack, we cannot even imagine somebody else might need something from us. Amen? All right, that's tough, right? He said, the way that you're acting is despising the house of God. What do you think we're here for? This is a place of healing, not hurt. This is a place of restoration, not teardown. This is a place of love and friendship, not isolation and selfishness. So Paul is super upset. He said, you wanna know how it should go? Let's do this. Pick it up in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Now, you've heard this before, right? I mean, in almost every Christian tradition, there's some form of communion. Some people call it Eucharist. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. But you've heard this before. At Bridgeway, every full weekend, first full weekend of every month, we do communion. You have a leader step out here, and they use this very passage to kick us off. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. You're like, I know this one, right? And you click in on it. Might be some pieces we missed. Let's take a look at it for a moment. Why did Jesus take bread and make it meaningful? You go, well, bread was just a staple of their diet. Ah, that's key. In the ancient world, bread was the staple and it was cheap. It was not for fancy people, it was for every people. Does that make sense? Jesus was making a statement. Bread sustains, God sustains. Is that not the reason why he revealed himself in the desert through manna, which is bread from heaven? But he also grabbed the loaf from the Passover meal because there's one loaf, but it's given out to many. There's one Jesus given out to many. There is one body of Christ, but we are shown in diversity. God was making this powerful statement through a loaf of bread. And think about how important was this Last Supper meal that Paul's referring to. Jesus Christ, on the night he was about to be arrested because one of his closest guys betrays him. He knows it's coming. The other guys don't know it's coming except Judas Iscariot, right? On that night, he realizes they're never going to assemble like that ever again. Judas is out. That crew is never gonna be together again. He wants his guys around him and he said, guys, I want us together. And he fought so hard to keep the disciples together. They would have squabbles and problems. He's like, guys, we stay together. We stay together. On that night, he began to give these powerful images. The bread is me sustaining you. But it's also my body I'm about to put on the cross that is going to die in your stead. This cup, now notice it says the cup he took after supper. Isn't that interesting how we always take communion together? Bread, juice, right? Bread, wine, as if it was one combo. No, he's doing a Jewish Passover meal, which is long, and it's not till the third cup of wine called the cup of redemption that he makes this statement. And when he grabs that cup, I don't know whether or not any of the guys were tracking on how important this was. But afterwards, they never forgot it. Guys, this wine represents what's going to pour out of my body for the remission of sins. I get it. It's not blood. It's wine. I get it. It's not my body. It's bread. But do you understand that you're a human and humans learn through tactile experience? Do you understand? I'm trying to create something that is so common that it's gonna keep triggering your mind to never forget me. Christians, never forget the grace. 
Never forget that there's a new way that Jesus made available. You are not performing for his love. His love came and grabbed you. Never forget that he paid it all and we now live in gratitude. Never forget that it cost him his life to make sure you would never lose yours. This is what he said. Guys, you're gonna get so distracted in this world, you're gonna forget. You have to put in a discipline that you will always remember. The power of the symbolism is extraordinary. He said this, as often as you do this, I need you to do it in remembrance of me until I come back. What was his point? At some point, I'm coming in with some heat. I'm gonna come back and trust me, everyone will know who I am. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that I am Lord. But until that day comes, they're distracted. I want you to remember. I want you to proclaim what I have done, not just for you kiddos, but for all my creation. Can you please tell them my story? I'm gonna ask you to do something that I don't normally do, and that is I don't like a lot of uh, historically churchy things. They kind of freak me out, and they've kind of been distorted over time, and they kind of have weird meanings. Um, so like, for example, uh, most of the worst drivers I've ever seen have a fish on their car. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? And you're like... Oh, did Jesus cut me off? Oh, does Jesus not know how to drive? Interesting. Okay, so once again, it, if you got that, that's totally cool. It's encouraging to me, but drive better. Okay. <clears throat> this one, though, always encourages me. You guys, did you notice that when Jesus sat down, every time he grabbed food, whether he was multiplying fish, he would what? Give thanks. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you are able to do this, and I understand we're all in different walks in our faith, right? I mean, we're all in different places. But if you're able to, would you bow your head in prayer when you're at a restaurant? Every time I see an individual do it, every time I see a couple do it, every time I see a family do it, it emboldens my spirit that they say, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks in this restaurant. I'm giving thanks to my God. I'm disciplining myself in thanksgiving, and I will acknowledge that my God is good. And I don't care about prying eyes. They don't move me. I'm interested in the audience of one. Amen? Now, listen, it's interesting because he says, guys, what you are doing is so severe, I need to give you a really serious warning, but I want to explain why. Let's pick it up in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without, notice this phrase, discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. 
But when we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If you're super hungry, eat at home. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I'll give directions when I come. Here's what he said. I mean, this is a little bit crazy, right? If you eat or drink it in an unworthy manner, boy, this is where all the little sensitive ones in us are like, communion can kill me, right? I don't wanna take it. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. All right, hold on. There are some indicators on what he's talking about. And unfortunately, this has scared people improperly. Here's what he's saying. If you do it in an unworthy way, you're like, what's unworthy? He said, if you do not discern the body. Now, here's what's interesting. As long as I've been alive in every tradition I've gone to, there's usually a moment of reflection before you take communion, right? During this next song, I would like you to consider how messed up you really are. (laughs) Have you guys ever noticed that? And it's like, hmm, wait a second. I don't think that's what it said. Now, is there anything wrong with realizing you are a loser? No, not really. Because I think at any time, that's a great idea, right? As long as it doesn't stop with you. Because here's my problem with the let's consider our sin move, is it ends with you. Aren't we doing this in remembrance of him? So why are we focusing on us? Are we not supposed to? Now, there's nothing wrong with going, Lord, wash me clean because you know I'm not in alignment with you. But God, you are great and glorious. You have set me free. Your grace is sufficient, yeah? That's fine. But the context is actually about community, not let's close our minds to everyone around us and pretend like we're all by ourselves. Actually, it says discern the body. It means look around and figure out if you're hurting people around you before you start celebrating how saved you are. You see, so many times the church falls into this isolation. Hey, when we're doing worship, just pretend nobody else is here. And just between you and, stop. We're in a group for a reason. You can do the other one at home. I need you to worship knowing the rest of us are here. That's why we sing out loud. That's why we talk to one another in worship by saying, isn't my God great? Does that make sense? When it comes down to this whole idea of communion, he said, before you have a gift to give to God, consider what's going on with your brothers and sisters. Because you're about to celebrate how forgiven you are. You're about to celebrate how much grace you have. You're about to celebrate that Jesus got you off the hook. Don't you dare do that while you're being toxic and hurting everyone around you. Stop and consider that your horizontal relationships impact your vertical relationship with God. Because what ends up happening, and this is what he's trying to avoid, Churches can get so selfishly toxic that they think that everything is cool with them and God and they're still being mean to everyone else. Paul said, if you fall into that toxicity, the church starts becoming more and more like the world. And you know what happens? That means Jesus has to come in and discipline to clean house, to go, guys, we don't do that. No, 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 because he's not willing to let you get swept away in the condemnation with the world. 
he's gonna fix us. And he's like, and you've seen that when we get toxic here, bad stuff goes down because God's blessing is not in full force. That's all that he said. We so quickly read everything through a personal lens. Really, the simple thing is, gosh, stop hurting each other. I mean, it's like, you, what, you're gonna gossip and ruin her reputation, and then you're gonna be like, God, you are so good. Hold on a second. Remember when Jesus was talking about the Lord's Prayer? Hey, before you celebrate that you are forgiven, I need you to forgive other people. Well, what does that have to do with it? It has to do with me being a good dad and making sure my kiddos look like me. That's what it means. Oh, are you saying that if I don't, you're gonna reject me? Hold on. No. You're always my child. But if you think that I'm not gonna swat you, you're out of line. Does that make sense? All right, all right. Now, here's what he said. He said, if anyone is hungry, if you are tempted to kind of get into that weird selfish I need more, I need more. Can you take care of that before you walk into a corporate event so you don't start using people, right? Yeah. He's like, there's a very simple answer to this. Some of you guys were like, I just wanna eat, let's go on. He's like, can you take care of that at home? I never told you you had to wait to get to church to eat. Eat at home so you can make it about Jesus. You know, I would suggest to you that we all come with mixed motives, do we not? I know I do, right? Am I preaching always from pure motives? How much of it is me seeking affirmation? How much is it me working through my issues? How much is it me wanting to be liked? I don't know. We all have mixed motives. But part of our responsibility in being good family members is doing our best to make sure that we're healthy with the tools God's given us so we don't come in quite as toxic as we could be. Because some of us don't do a lot of self-care and we walk in and we're kind of rough to be around. You know what I'm talking about? But here's how I want to finish. It ought not be that way. You're like, Pastor, you don't understand my life. Oh, goodness, yes, I do. I know difficulty, but I also know that in our difficulty, we still need to make it about Jesus and about other people. I do know that. Do you realize, and I just wanna finish by reminding you how blessed you really are. Do you remember that Jesus Christ secured your future? Do you remember that this new covenant in his blood allows you to walk as a child of God every day. Do you remember that when God forgives you, there's actually more waiting in the hopper, more forgiveness, more grace, more mercy? Do you realize that God is so patient with you that he's saying, hey, kiddo, I get it, you're gonna mess up. That doesn't surprise me, you're a human being. I get it, I'm with you. Do you remember the love that is coming down from heaven? 
I just pray that today you're going to feel so filled up that the idea of you having to watch over your own needs fades to the background and you go, hey, I'm okay. I wonder what everybody else is doing. And you start to look on how to love at everybody else. Amen? Amen. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close? Let's finish it out. Heavenly Father, in this moment of holiness, we just pray that, Lord, you would download into our minds a reminder of how glorious you have ministered to us. That, God, that you keep caring for us, that you keep loving on us, that we are filled up, that even if we don't have physical friends, you have been the one holding our hand, joking with us, laughing with us, never allowing us to be alone or abandoned. That, Lord, that even though we don't have the marriage that we wanted, but, God, you're in the midst of redeeming. You're in the midst of restoring. That, God, we may not have the job that we had always dreamed of, but, Lord, we have something that is paying bills. We have something to put our minds and our hearts toward that matters. God, we may not feel like everything is going great as a parent, but we have gifts of children, some of us. And so, Lord, would you remind us that we are abundantly blessed so that, God, we might be in a mode of gratitude and that we might be able to say, I'm okay, how are you? God, transform all of us that can hear my voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.